You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickshiller.com. Just because you see what he shows. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey on Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and on today's episode I'm going to have a chat to a friend of mine named Grace Keaton. Grace does uh, craniosacral and osteopathy work on horses. And if you've listened to an earlier podcast episode with a lovely lady named Shay Stewart, who was also a craniosacral worker on horses, you'd be aware that in order to do craniosacral work, you have to have a level of, ooh, what would you say? (laughs) A level of self-awareness, a level of intuition, a level of feel, and a level... I don't know, you just have to have, I think you have to have senses that, well, the ability to tune into senses that most people cannot tune into. I think we may be all, uh, you know, blessed with these senses, but uh, conditioning and, you know, cultural conditioning and society and everything basically might dull those senses a bit. And so anybody who does that to me, you know, is... is uh, Someone worth chatting to, and especially for the Journey on podcast, to figure out with Grace how she got to this point and how she developed, uh, you know, the feel and intuition to be able to do this work. And, you know, listening to Grace's story, it's like, okay, that's why. Yep, got it now. So anyway, this is my friend Grace Keaton, and I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Grace Keaton, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you. This is going to be uh, this is going to be fun because I know you have a you know you're one of those people who has a really pretty cool story to tell. I think. <laughs> um, but first, I sh- we probably should talk about how we met. So we met last year in 2021 mm-hmm. at the Best Horse Practice Summit in Lexington, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know what? I had a I had to stop there for a second. Like 2021. Now that. That sounds like the be- no, no. Right. Yeah, it actually is 2021. Time is a weird thing. It is at the best horse practice summit in Lexington, Kentucky. Yes. And it was pretty cool. It's kind of like so we're having our journey on podcast summit this year, to where we're going to have you know 22 of the presenters from the first year of the of the podcast mm-hmm. all presenting over three days in San Antonio, Texas, in I guess it's November. Sounds like it's going to be incredible. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. But it was it was a little bit like that because the people that are going to be there, not just the presenters, but the people are going to be there all of a certain mindset. And it's not often that you get to be around that many people of that mindset. Like you, you have your, your pockets of them here and there, but right. having a group of them. And so the, I thought the best horse practice summit was a, very similar type atmosphere to everybody was you know because that best horse practice summit was is about a lot of the presenters is about busting myths like they had dr sherry king there and she like 
she busts myths about all sorts of things. They had a guy there. This was really interesting, wasn't it? There was a guy there from the University of Kentucky mm-hmm. who they have a herd of horses that they have not wormed these horses for 15 years or something or other. Yeah. Do you remember that guy? I do. He was fascinating. I mean, it everybody was. was, was a... But, I mean, just so interesting to hear all of these different takes on things that, you know, you just you take it as, you know, rules in the horse world it's just how it's always been done right so it's like yeah. to have all these people who are like actually it has but it doesn't have to be done that way <laughs> yeah. it's really inspiring actually, <laughs> actually science says something completely different mm-hmm. and so yeah so i and i was a presenter there but i wasn't presenting uh horse information i'd actually been asked by maddie butcher who heads the whole thing to be the keynote speaker for the um, the dinner, they have a dinner on the Saturday night and I was the keynote speaker afterwards and she kind of wanted me to to share my story and it was, part of it was I had a, a what do you call that thing when you do stuff on the computer and you put it up on the screen, <laughs> a, a, do you think not a slideshow, a, oh, a, a PowerPoint. Power, thank yes. you very much. <laughs> I had to do a PowerPoint, I, I had to do a PowerPoint presentation along with this thing and, you know, I talk, I can talk a lot, but as long as I have no parameters on when I got to stop and when I got to start, and I had to try to time it with this PowerPoint thing, and I actually had a a panic attack right before I had to go on. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was losing my shit. And part of it was worried about this bloody PowerPoint thing, but the other part of it was, you know, I was sharing my story to a room full of people and it was going to be pretty raw mm-hmm. and real. And as I'm unraveling my stuff, I know underneath there somewhere, you know, underneath my stoic exterior is someone with a great deal of anxiety and a great deal of emotions. And one of the, one of the fears I have is that stuff unraveling at the wrong time and I kind of was worried about what if this is the what if halfway through this thing is when it all hits me and I just start bawling my eyes out and (laughs) and so I yeah I I I was having a panic attack about half an hour before it and I had you know because of Robin's panic attacks I've I know some techniques to do some things I called her she talked me through some stuff there were some people there that someone had me go outside and ground myself on the grass and then I I had my muse, so I did a little muse meditation, and and it all kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, yeah, enough about me. That's, well, that's, no, that's was... kind of that's kind of how we met. Yeah, well, and I just am so thankful for how gracious you were because it was a super. I was so awkward when I introduced myself to you. It was one of those things. Where I'm like, oh, I I could. It was almost like an out of body experience to where I could feel how uncomfortable. At least I was. I don't know if you were uncomfortable. <laughs> but it was one of those things where you were so bombarded the whole weekend. And it was just a quiet moment. And all of a sudden, I just had to go for it. You know, I knew that it was kind of an hour and ever kind of a thing. And then, you know, I marched up there to introduce myself to you. And that was like all I could say is I just I think I said, um, I just really feel like I need to meet you. <laughs> I told you what my name was. And then. I had nothing. <laughs> and it was, uh, 
it wasn't exactly what I pictured in my head of, of how I would have liked that to have gone. But you were just so kind and, you know, you held in there, which was great. And then we were you're able like, to chat more. And I, You're like baby in um, Dirty Dancing where she said I carried a watermelon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, you know, and it's and I have those I have those things too, you know. I, I I get those things meeting people, and so don't feel bad about it. <laughs> and it and all it really is is you, you know. We in our own minds we pump somebody else up to be something different than us, mm-hmm. and we're really you know just I mean? people. Yeah, and it's <laughs> you know for me it's it's really I mean I, I that happens quite a bit when. You know, in that situations sure. like that, and it and it used to be really weird. Like I used to feel really weird in that situation. And I'm talking about the situation of you walking up to me and you kind of getting a bit stuck. Right. Um, I kind of used to feel really weird in those situations, and and but I understand that I have those things in in situations where I meet people that I've built up mm-hmm. to be something that they're not, sort of thing. And so I totally understand it, and so it's like. Yeah, I, I get it. It's it's yeah, I, I get it. But it was yeah, it's still it's still weird when it happens to me, you know, like because I'm just I'm just me and you know whatever. Which so, is yeah, why people love you so much too. It's you know that you can maintain that I'm just a person, you know. It's it's refreshing that you find it weird when people get kind of starstruck. I think. <laughs> yeah, but when you you know when you talk to people who people get starstruck around. Everybody finds it weird. I, I, I mean, for the most part, everybody I've talked to, they get kind of weird. But anyway, yeah, that's that's how we met, and that was, um, yeah, we met there, and uh, you, we had a chat, and you told me what you did, and then how did how did we end up hooking up out here? Oh, you were gonna, you were gonna. Well, actually, let's. I'm babbling away. Why don't, <laughs> right. why don't you tell us what you do, and then we'll get into the next part. Of it. So, so, what is it you do? I do equine body work and energy work. Uh, my specific training is in craniosacral therapy and functional indirect osteopathic techniques, which boiled down is just that I've been able to learn how to feel the rhythm in the body and all the different systems and then find where they're lacking and help the body restore them. That's a very succinct explanation of something that is unexplainable. <laughs> um, yeah, so we met there and you told me you did that and then you must have posted on Facebook something that you were coming out to California to do some further education in that. And I think I had said, would you like to come and work on our horses? Is that how that went down? I think I actually messaged you because I wanted to know if you were going to be teaching anywhere while I was out here or out Ah, there. Okay. And then that was your reply was, well, no, you know, but I'd love to have you out to work on my horses, which was another kind of surreal moment for Yeah, and so you know, I had Shay Stewart on the podcast, so she's going to be one of the presenters at the the uh, podcast summit in San Antonio, and she probably is the first person I talked to that does craniosacral work that that I really had a conversation with about what craniosacral work was, and and so she kind of made me realize, oh, it's you. I think anybody who does craniosacral work, it's not like okay, I'm going to go from doing nothing to craniosacral work. It's, it's, it doesn't work that way. There's got to be a progression to lead up to it because it is so, I don't know, woo is the, 
is the word. So you you said something there a minute ago about getting in tune with the rhythms of. Can you let's? I want to really unpack this thing because there's a lot. There's a lot to it. Sure. So can you kind of explain how that works? Yeah. So with the craniosacral therapy, I'm feeling the tide that's created by the cerebrospinal fluid as it gets pumped throughout the body and back up into the brain. And the osteopathy techniques that I've learned are really very similar, but instead of dealing just with the spinal fluid in the, that system and the craniosacral system, I'm feeling for specific veins or arteries or nerves or organs or fascia, you know, so you can learn how to tap into to any one of those things. And I think that's why they go so well together because it's the same concept. You're just setting your intention somewhere different. Setting your intention somewhere different. So you, so let's, let's unpack this a little bit. You can feel the rhythm of the, what's the fluid? The cerebrospinal fluid. <laughs> the cerebrospinal fluid. Okay. So it has, tell us about this rhythm. What, it, where does this rhythm come from? Why does it have a rhythm? What does the rhythm do? And so the, um, the job of the craniosacral system is to bathe and maintain and clean and, and take care of the whole central nervous system, basically. So it's kind of a, a regulator in a way. Um, and I believe it's, let's see, I have to think about this. It's produced in, I think, the fourth ventricle of the brain. And then it gets pumped out. So it's kind of, it's a semi-closed hydraulic system, basically. So it gets pumped out across the body and then it comes back uh, ideally all throughout the whole spinal cord it should feel really abundant and really clear um, but in a lot of horses and people it's not you know so my job is to go in and and feel where those spots are that things you know it's kind of like a kink in a garden hose um, so to find those and then help the body unwind them so that it can function properly and so the ability, so what I really want to unpack, I don't want to really want to get into how to do what to do. The thing I want to unpack is you have got to the point in your life where you can feel that, <laughs> okay? And so what I want to unravel is how does one get to, to that point? You, you, let's talk about how, how you ended up doing this craniosacral and osteopathy with horses. Because like I said a minute ago, this is not going to be your first port of call. It's not like I'm going to go, yes, I can feel these minute things, you know. <laughs> well, I learned about this work from having it done on myself. Um, I, uh, I had gotten myself hurt uh, back in 2019 and that brought me to a little tiny, tiny lady named Carol Siciliano who was oh, 84 at the time and just this teeny tiny lady, but a total badass. She um, had gone to several Olympic games working on athletes. I, I mean, you talk about a lady that should have a book. She's one of them. <laughs> um, and she's actually the one who taught me how to feel the craniosacral rhythm. So as I started to heal, because it was just so tremendously helpful, um, I started to feel better. And then these sessions sort of became lessons. So she was able to help me learn how to feel that on myself. I mean, because you can feel your own craniosacral rhythm. Um, and by the end of it, she was like, you know, I don't know horses, but 
you should figure out how to do this for them because I bet it would be really helpful and sort of sent me down my own rabbit hole of finding somebody who teaches that. So you'd had, did you have like a horse riding accident? Is that what it was? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, you know, one of the millions of girls who grew up thinking I'd be a horse trainer because I knew that I wanted to work in the horse industry somehow. I knew I didn't want to be a vet. Um, and I always have loved horses. I'm the only horse person in my family, so I don't know quite where it came from. But, um, you know, I grew up riding in a little hunter jumper, small town program and then got to where other people wanted me to work with their horses. And it just kind of grew from there. And then um, I learned about like Buck Brandeman and really liked his work. And so I followed him for a long time. Um, and then I decided, oh, I'm going to be a cult starter. <laughs> it's got to be so easy, right? <laughs> and so I started a few. And um, this one horse who really, I mean, I, I give him a lot of credit for getting me where I am. Um, it's something that I'm, I'm thankful for. But he was boarded already at this facility that I was training out of. And he already had a reputation around the barn uh, being, you know, kind of an asshole. He was just a curmudgeon. He was a grumpy horse. And looking back, it was... Curmudgeon. Like, <laughs> that, that is a word that we don't use enough these days. Curmudgeon. I love well, that. That's a great word. His picture would be right next to it in the dictionary, I think. <laughs> Um, and I was always drawn to the unlovable horses. I mean, that was always my, my thing was I just, yeah, I've never had to shop for a horse for myself because I just always want the ones that other people don't. <laughs> um, and, and he's a horse that is the epitome of the horses that need what it is that I do. And I've actually since gotten to work on him as a bodywork client, which is a cool kind of full circle thing. Um, but he just had a lot going on. You know, he had a lot going on physically. He had a lot going on energetically. And these were things that I could feel, uh, but I couldn't place them. I didn't know what it was that I would get sort of distracted by. Um, and he took really good care of me, actually. Uh, in his own... Can we, back up a, can we back up a second? Of course, yeah. When you said these are things I could feel. Do you want to unravel that a bit? Like what could you feel? Was it, was it a, was it a, for me, you know, my, my intuition's always been in my head. Mm -hmm. And so for me, feeling something would actually be thinking something, quantifying something. Oh, I noticed he did this when I do this and this happens here and all that dot the I's cross the T's, mm -hmm. all that, that left brain stuff. <laughs> was it, because when you say I felt, mm -hmm. I I translate that into I thought, I quantified, I I noticed, and that's that's probably the that's that's the the way I put. Yeah. When you say I felt, I think oh you noticed, but did you notice or did you feel in your body? Was it a somatic thing? I would say it was more somatic, and it wasn't just with him. Mm. You know, it was something that I. Um, I've always noticed in myself that I could feel those things. Uh, I didn't know what to do with them because they're, you know, as far as I knew, there wasn't really room for that in the horse training world. You know, so it was something that I would allow it to 
be enough to slow me down in my process if I felt those things. Um, but I didn't know how to bridge the gap, you know. So I had I had these things that I would feel, and I had this job that I had to do. <laughs> so okay, you, let's. You're still jumping ahead, though. I want to go back to what were you feeling? Did you left big toe tingle? Did your ear tingle? You know, like what what? Um, what did you What did you feel? Oh, it's so hard to explain it because then I have to think about it, and when I think about it, I can't feel it. <laughs> Uh, see, that's my problem is I, I you know, I think so much, I, that blocks out the feel, yeah. And I think it, they were just sort of these intuitive hits of, hmm, you know, I think there's something there, but I don't know what it is, so we'll just proceed with caution. <laughs> okay, so we can't quantify this feel thing, but I'm going to try to get you to, was it, would you say it was somewhere in your torso? I would say, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. so it's like in your heart, gut, somewhere. Yep. Like, Some something rang a bell to where I'm like, oh, you know, there's there's something mm. going on there, mm. and um, and you know, for as much of a curmudgeon as he was, he really, um, he was expressive enough, and I was cautious enough that I had kept myself out of trouble with him until, <laughs> um, he. So one of the things in him that I noticed was he was really uneven in his hind end and it's his right hind, especially it just didn't always want to cooperate. Um, and so I had suggested to his owner who was super willing to do anything to help him. Um, I said, well, why don't you have a chiropractor out? And so she did. And I gave him a, you know, two or three days off from, from being ridden, which normally wouldn't be a big deal for him. I mean, he's, he's one that, was really smart and would hold on to things really well. So as long as they were good things, you were golden. And I had been on him then. It was it was probably only his tenth ride, and uh, I had been on him for probably twenty minutes, just walking and trotting because his body was just not in a a balanced enough place to canter. And so we were going around. I was going to the right, which was his harder way, and I thought, all right. I just want to do one more little trot. <laughs> Those are famous one last more. words. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then the screws kind of all came loose. And in my gut feeling is that he, um, whatever had been put back in place came back out. And there's no way to quantify that either. Um, I'm just not a believer in the whole, you know, all of a sudden out of right. nowhere they you know, had this fit. Um, but it, I felt that we were both surprised by it. <laughs> and so I came off like a lawn dart. I mean, I was like gaining speed into the earth and, um, nothing was broken, but I just was pretty banged up. I was out of commission for a good eight weeks or so. So, oh, wow. um, so, you know, in that time I was able to do groundwork and I had known a little bit about Patrick King's in-hand work. So we had been working on yep. that too. So we were able to still keep working together some, but, uh, uh, but I was having a hard time getting around. I had a pretty nasty concussion, um, but it brought me to Carol. So, you know, it's something that I'm really very thankful for. So when you went and saw her, what was physically going on with your body? Um, well, I had pulled a ton of muscles, pretty much my whole right side was all mm. torn up and, yeah. um, 
in the first time I saw her, she's just, she's one of those people, like she'll look at you and she sees so much more. Yeah. <laughs> like you might as well not even bother trying to hide anything because she'll just see it all. You might as well not got dressed. Exactly. <laughs> Pretty much. And so the first time I went to see her, we actually had worked on a trauma from when I was younger. I had come off of my horse and shattered my whole lower jaw. Um, and that was when I was 14. So it was a long time ago. And I thought that I had processed everything from it, but apparently I hadn't. And I just, so we worked on that, which, which was really interesting. And I was surprised that we had to go back that far to get ahead, if that makes sense. And so was it, was it, um, was it processing a, like the physical trauma, like, you, you know, you, you broke a jaw mm -hmm. and you have a pretty hefty, quite prominent scar in your face mm -hmm. from it. Was it, was it processing like the, the breaking of your body type trauma or was it, was there a part of it processing the, the physical appearance of that at a, at that age, because the only reason I'm asking is I had, um, cystic acne when I was a teenager. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you, you know, my whole head, chest and shoulders, they look like, like they're big enough to look like boils, mm. you know? And so you're kind of a bit disfigured, so to say, mm -hmm. at that time of your life where you are really concerned about how you look outwardly to the world. So the, the unresolved trauma, was it to do with the actual breaking of your body or was it to do with the, the mental stuff afterwards or a bit of both? It was both. It was yeah. totally both. Um, you know, there's the whole idea of the body keeps the score kind of a thing. And, and I find the same thing when I work with horses that I'll find physical restrictions, but there's very commonly an emotional component that comes up with that. And that's what I felt as Carol worked on me also. So there are things that, yes, they manifested physically, but they weren't, they might not have started that way. Right. You know? So, um, and it's something, you know, it's such an odd thing because to think about going through all of that now, oh my gosh, I don't know how I would deal with it. But even then, being, you know, a 14-year-old girl, you just just dealt with it, you know? And, mm. and I was homeschooled, which helped tremendously. So mm, I wasn't okay, in the yeah. midst of all of these right. kids that had a lot okay. of things to say. Yeah. Um, I was yeah. able to be pretty, pretty well protected. And the people that I spent time with were people who gen genuinely just wanted to see me get better, you know? So, um, and there were a lot of miracles that were going along with that injury also. That's another thing that I'm really thankful for. Um, because it was another transformative time. Um, and it, it, well, I mean, it was one of the things that made me realize how incredibly bodies can heal. And so I wouldn't have changed it. You know, I, I would have done it a hundred times over, but it's funny to think now, oof, man, I don't know what I would do if, if I shattered my jaw, <laughs> but it's something I've already dealt with. <laughs> wow. Um, so I've got to, the question I probably got for you about Carol, was that a name? Mm -hmm. Was how did you find her? 
because it's a it's a bit of a leap of faith to say, hey, your body's all broken. Go see this person, and she's probably not really going to touch you very much, but she's going to fix you. <laughs> my mom, my mom had gone to see her already, mm-hmm. and so she said, oh, you've got to go see Carol. And I was, I wasn't excited about it. It was one of those things. Where I'm like, ah, I'm fine, you know, I'll I'll get better. Um, but oh, I'm so thankful that she sort of insisted, like, no, you should really, you should really go see her. And how my mom found her, I don't know, honestly. She's just like one of those little angels that comes along. <laughs> wow. So I want to ask you a bit more about going to see this Carol lady. So what was your what was your first session like? Because it's you know I have had a couple of different. Well, I know one was craniosacral. I'm not sure even what the other one was, but I went. It was a little while ago, actually. Our Former podcast guest and friend of ours, Beth Ann Standig, said, you've got to go see this. She's my body lady. Ah. And she maybe, I think maybe she does some craniosacral, but anyway, go and lay on the table and she just, I don't even think she put her hands on me, but she goes, oh, <laughs> and then starts telling me stuff about me, like fears and, you know, like, oh, yes, this, and like she, one of the things she said was, Oh, these are the people-pleasing muscles. These are the Ooh. muscles that these these are the muscles that that tell me that that you are concerned about what others think about you. Oh wow! These ones are very tight, and you know, oh, just stuff crazy. like that. Yeah. yeah, and I think I don't know. I can't remember what exactly she does, but I think there was a, a craniosacral part to that. So mm-hmm. when you first, you know, with your broken body, you go see this Carol lady. Um, what was your f- experience like? So, you, well, you said she started talking about your jaw. Was that in the first session? It was, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, and I just wept like a little baby. And it was oh, one of those really? things where I don't like crying in front of people. I don't like crying in front of anybody. And so to sit here with this stranger <laughs> just sobbing um, over, you know, such a soft way about her um and she would ask questions i mean she was definitely um she was just so light in her approach physically and emotionally so it would be kind of more like she didn't want to spill the beans for me it would be more you know she'd be drawn somewhere on me and would go hmm what's here (laughs) and so then i'd it's one of those things where it just would come to me and it's, it's, oh, it's stuff that I thought I had processed, but apparently I hadn't. Um, so she definitely let me sort it out in that way. You know, she just was sort of like, hmm, tell me about this. <laughs> What's this from? <laughs> For you guys that are you know, regular podcast listeners, this sounds very similar to the story that Tristan Tucker told me mm. about going to see that dude in Denmark, Bent, Bent, whatever Bent's name was. But mm. it's it sounds it sounds very similar. And so Bent has a website, I think it's called Bent DS, I think. Oh. Um, but I've been on there and he doesn't say anything about craniosacral, but it sounds very, very similar. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like he... Like he just touched parts of, of, of uh, well, you know, he said to, to Tristan, like, oh, this leg, you, mm. I think you broke this leg at one point in time. And then 
you know, he did something <laughs> there and then and Tristan said, and all of a sudden I was just all this I was just bawling like a baby. Yeah. There was there was <laughs> there was um you know, unresolved trauma about that. And you mentioned uh Body Keeps the Score before. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if it was The Body Keeps the Score. So that's Bessel van der Kolk, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. So I, I can't remember if it was Bessel van der Kolk, Body Keeps the Score, or uh, Peter Levine's Waking the Tiger, or or what's the other one? So either Bessel van der Kolk's got another book, or Peter Levine's got another book. I can't remember which. But they talk in there about having surgery and the actual cutting of your flesh, mm-hmm. and there is an actual trauma stored in the body because of that. And yeah. so you you can you can not actually have, you know, like like being lawn darted off this horse and hitting <laughs> the ground. You know, that's a that's a kind of a traumatic event right. that you didn't elect to do. Right. So you don't think of things that you elect to do as as traumatic. Like yeah, I'm going to go and have surgery on my leg or whatever it is. Right. But in one of those books, it was talking about how you know it's it's a it's a, not a breaking of trust with the body. I'm not sure how to put it, but it's yeah. It is it is a traumatic thing having your flesh cut through, yeah. and that, that you can actually there's actual you know from surgeries you have trauma from them. Even though mm-hmm. you know you think of trauma as stuff that happened to you that was out of your control, not you know like you decide Something I'm going to go for run around the yeah, yeah. like <laughs> I'm going to go for run around the block. You don't come back and feel like oh something bad happened to me. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it's, it's so fascinating, it all that, that that stuff. Well, and I think it's such a good reminder of we don't even get to decide for our own body what trauma is. You know, I mean, it's and I think that's a big part of of what I do with the horses, because owners will say all the time, like, well, they've never really been through anything. And I'm like, well we don't get to decide what they've been through or not, you yeah. know. I used to think I had the perfect childhood. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Robin says the same thing, you know, and, and then, you know, she's been unraveling some stuff like, oh, okay, you know. I, I, I didn't look at that that way then. Right. But, yeah, that's that's it's so interesting when you start to – become aware of the things that cause trauma and they're not the things, they're not necessarily the, the things you would think would cause trauma. They're not right. the big bad things and sometimes the big bad things are not that big a deal. Right. And the little things are big. Yeah. Exactly. Or they I'm just get about, processed differently. Yeah, and I'm talking, you know, most of this I'm talking about here would be emotional trauma, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. So anyway, sorry, let's get back to Carol's. <laughs> Um, so you had a session with her and like, how often did you go see her and, and at what point in time did you kind of go, Hmm, I could use this for the horse. By, I would imagine the fourth time she would start, you know, explaining what she was doing and why she was doing it. And she would have me feel different things on myself, like feel the, you know, feel the difference in the rhythm from here to here. Um, You know, which way does it want to go? Which way does it not want to go? And by the end of our time together, I was on the hunt for a way to learn this for the horses. (laughs) Do you think, do you think she felt something in you like you ha- you would have the ability to 
to understand this. You know, you think you think she explains stuff to everybody she works on, or some people she just works on, and like mm-hmm. she, she can tell that. The, the, you know, because you had said before that you would feel these mm-hmm. things with horses. Do you think she recognized that in you and like, was like, okay, I can, I can help you develop that? I think she must have. You know, I think she feels things in people like I feel things in horses. So I think there must have been something in me that, um, that made her feel like she should explain this stuff and kind of give me a nudge to find my way in it too. Okay, so now I just had a thought come to me. So when I had Kerry Lake on the podcast mm-hmm. and she, you know, she, Kerry Lake talks about, she said, I'm not teaching you anything. I'm helping you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we all have this ability. Mm-hmm. We all have the ability to have this ability, but our culture, you know, our upbringing, society, whatever, dulls it down, wears it out, tells you don't do that. Like with Kerry Lake. So Kerry Lake, you know, the way I describe her, she doesn't describe herself this way, but I describe her (laughs) as an animal communicator who teaches people how to communicate with animals. Yeah. But she doesn't just teach you how to communicate with animals. She teaches her how to get in touch with you and you can communicate with a lot of things. Mm -hmm. But um, so I asked Kerry Lake, I said, so how long have you been able to do this? And she goes, oh, it was my first language. Ah. Like, I could I could communicate with animals before I was verbal, mm-hmm. if, you know, and I said, so tell me what happens when you become verbal, and then you can explain to your parents what you are doing. How what happens there? Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, what do you think happened? Don't be silly, Kerry. Uh-huh. Oh, Kerry's doing her. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, I think for a lot of us, society, you know, when we have that those sorts of abilities early on. Society tells us you you're being silly. Right. I was just thinking you were homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Tell me, were your parents mm, hippie-ish like they woo-ish like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. were. They were hippies uh, before they were cool to be. You know. I um. <laughs> uh, see. Now it makes sense because because <laughs> what I'm getting at here is not everybody can do craniosacral work. Because not everybody is that in tune and it sounds like you've never had it rubbed out of you. You've never been, you know, ah, yeah. okay, yeah. Then, now, okay, yeah. now it's, it's making sense. It's just, uh, just right then when you were talking, I thought about, she was homeschooled. Yeah. Hang on, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning and find it. Okay, now it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's, this is, this is not, yeah, this is. So if you guys listening at home and, and, and it's kind of hitting me right now too, it's not like Grace has got something we don't have. Right. Grace has got something that we've had but we've lost. Or it's forgotten. Like you, or you forgotten. were told to forget. Yes, yeah. you were, had it drummed out of you, whereas mm-hmm. it sounds like you've never had that. Right. You know, I've talked about it before, but there's a, uh, there's a book that was given to me a couple of years ago called uh, Radical Wholeness. Ooh, and in this book it down. talks about a it talks about a West African tribe called the Anglo Iwe tribe. And they, you know, they say we don't have five senses. They they say we've got way more senses than that. And one of 
one of the senses that they talk about is our sense of balance. Our sense of balance is the relationship between us and the exact centre of the earth. Oh, wow. <laughs> but another one of the senses that they have is what they call sese salame. Mm. And sese salame translated into, literally translated into English is feel, feel with flesh from the inside out. Ooh, I love that. And that's one of our senses that this tribe says that we have. And it sounds like that's the the sense that you've not ever lost. Mm-hmm. That you've not had conditioned out of you. And, and because of that, then you can start to develop that sense more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that I'll have to look into that because that is, it resonates with me a lot. Um, but yeah, my parents, you know, they've always taught us that our bodies are smart innately and we know things. And my dad is an upper cervical chiropractor for people, which is different than really, you know, any other chiropractic technique that I know of. Um, because it's all very measured and calculated and there's no twisting or popping or, you know, take a deep breath and here we go. Um, what he does is like it's enough pressure to check your own pulse because he knows exactly where things need to go. So it's not anywhere near as traumatic. I mean, I think everybody upper either. Cer- I've got to write this down. Yeah. He's an upper cervical chiropractor. Mm-hmm. So every, all of his adjustments are done just in the cervical spine um, with the idea that there's sort of a domino effect because you're right close mm-hmm. to the brainstem. And so if you can get yeah. that talking well, then everything else will start talking better as well um you know so he's always talking about how smart our bodies are and how we were made to heal well and um and then my mom is really well versed in homeopathy and she'd muscle test us for supplements and things when we were kids oh really <laughs> yeah oh now it all, okay it all makes sense now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean i think i feel so thankful to have been born into this family because it didn't get stomped out. It was it was nurtured instead, you know. This... Okay, it all makes sense. <laughs> now. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that's what I wanted to see. That's the that's the thing I wanted to unravel. It's mm-hmm. you know, this podcast is not about what do you do. Right. This podcast is about what are the things that happened to you along the way that allowed you to do the thing you can do mm-hmm. and it's and it's and you know it's kind of about join the dots between how we're all alike not how we're all different and, and yeah and so, yeah so that okay that's fascinating <laughs> so that was your introduction to the whole thing so mm-hmm. i know that you've learned a lot of stuff from a guy named tom mays yes. do you want to talk about tom for a bit yeah i would love to tom is like the emerald lagasse of body work <laughs> He's super dynamic and um, so passionate about horses and what we can learn from them. And um, he has learned from a lot of really great people whose names I can't even think of now. Um, But his main teachers are the horses, you know, so which I think is so cool. I mean, he'll, um, you know, I know like you've talked about how it seems like science follows the woo not the other way around and he emulates that entirely because he'll just go with stuff 
you know, it's, he teaches protocols. I mean, he's very, um, he's very systematic in those kinds of ways. And he is always encouraging people to prove it to yourself, you know, use some of your left brain, because even though you get a feeling, what can you do with it, you know? Um, so he's a good balance of, of that left and right brain. And, uh, but yeah, he'll, I mean, if, if the horses show him something, he's going to investigate it and he's happy to credit them, which I think is also really cool. You know, he's not, he has pretty much no ego, <laughs> which I think is really admirable because he does a lot to help horses. Is, uh, so is he, does he do craniosacral or, or is he, uh, do osteopathy as well? So he does both. Um, okay. His courses, he has a foundation class that uh, focuses on some acupressure. You usually will learn how to feel the craniosacral rhythm in that class as well. And then he has um, craniosacral classes that are prerequisite for the osteo stuff. So you've mm. got to go through your craniosacral to learn the osteopathic work. You know, earlier on we are talking about how much fun it's going to be at the a podcast summit with you know all those like-minded people together and then oh, you know we're, we're talking about when we met at the the best horse practice summit same thing mm -hmm. one of his classes has got to be cool like the people that go there that's got to be cool doesn't it oh yeah and it it's neat because it draws people from all walks of life and but there's that that common denominator and and i'm not even quite sure what that quality is i don't know if you could quantify that um all ages i mean i think there was a lady in our class who is in her 70s and um just having a blast and the energy that's created there in his classes is just i don't know anything else like it <laughs> wow. um you know i can't remember who it was on the podcast but it was in the probably the last three or four guests it might have been christine dixon mm -hmm. might have been. i can't remember who it was but you, you said something a minute ago, like, I'm not sure what quality they have. Mm -hmm. Sense of curiosity, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and to I mean, just try to find what's possible. Yes. You know? Yes, um, yes. Curious about what's possible. Mm -hmm. and, and, yeah. Um, so Tom does these classes in, in it's in Placerville, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yep, and yeah. he'll so travel, Plas but, yeah, that's where he's yeah. based out of. Right, so Placerville, California, is on the western side of the Sierras, mm -hmm. in the, the foothills of the Sierras. It's, it's beautiful a beautiful place, yeah. Um, okay, so you've been out there for that. You know, I'm Patrick King, a former podcast guest, mm -hmm. Patrick King, he was telling me he went out there one time, and so Tom's wife is a, <laughs> a healer of humans. Yes. And Patrick said he had an experience with her where he was just, sitting we i don't know if you were there for this thing, i was he was kind of sitting there until what happened because <laughs> he was sitting there minding his own business is what he was doing <laughs> and um yolanda is tom's wife and she is incredible with with people and with horses and with very she reminds me a lot of carol in that sense of you know she's gonna look at you and just see all of it and she loves it's a, it's always a treat because usually while we're out there for classes we'll get together for dinner and um which i love because i love listening to their stories and um and she loves to work a room so she'll spend time sitting with everybody and chatting and 
And she made her way over to Patrick. This was as everybody else, I think, had pretty much left. So it was just my husband and I and Patrick and Tom and Yolanda, I think. It was just down to the, the brass tacks of us. And um, she just put her hands on him. And he, I mean, so there's a term for craniosacral therapy that it, we talk about unwinding things a lot. And they, neither of them were talking out loud. You know, Yolanda would go, hmm, hmm. Oh, interesting, you know. <laughs> she's, so she's got her hands on him. She's got her hands on him, yeah, real lightly. Um, and, it, it, like, his whole body is doing this unwind. And they were having a conversation between the two of them that nobody else was in on, but you could tell that there was a lot going on, which, you know, I'm thrilled for Patrick because he's a pretty um, – He's he's a fantastic person, but he's kind of reserved. You know, he he'll keep to himself, and and so it was a treat that we got to be there, and he felt comfortable, you know, letting us see that. And you know, so they were doing this for oh a few minutes, and then you know she takes her hands off, and his eyes open like <laughs> like he had never opened them before. <laughs> you could tell that obviously there had been a lot going on. Um, but that's kind of the beauty of it is he didn't have to, to rehash whatever it was that he was feeling. Um, but you could tell that there was a lot going on. (laughs) Wow, that's so cool. Um, you know what I thought I might do is actually, normally I wait kind of towards the end Mm -hmm. to ask these questions, but the, your questions I think are going to probably cover a lot of things that we would cover anyway if we just had a conversation. Mm -hmm. So I might start in on your on your uh, questions that yeah. you've chosen. Uh, and the first one you chose was, what's been your biggest failure and how has it helped you? So I always like listening to this question because it usually prompts people to, to define what they see as a failure or what they don't see as a failure. And, you know, for me, a failure is only a failure if you let it defeat you, but if you can let it inspire you instead to, to change directions or, you know, use it to your advantage, then it isn't really a failure. But, you know, for mine, um, it was quote unquote failing in training horses. (laughs) Because if I hadn't, I wouldn't have found this path, which is so clearly the one I'm supposed to be on. (laughs) If you hadn't been lawn darted by the curmudgeon. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, it's opened up a whole whole new world for me. Well, actually not a new world. I think it's, it's an old world, but it's the one I belong in. So. (laughs) Yeah. That whole, you know, I I love this question because, you know, it's what has been your biggest failure and how has it helped you? Mm -hmm. And the reason I like this question is because if, if someone listening has not got to the point in life to where they understand that every failure you have is actually setting you up for something even better. Mm-hmm. You know, if you haven't had enough of those, it, it might help people understand that. But, you know, right. for me, looking back, every time something terrible happened, you think about 10 years later, it's like, oh, this couldn't have, this great thing couldn't mm-hmm. have happened if that hadn't happened. So you, yeah. you, you get to where when terrible things happen, you, you tend not to judge them. You know, tend not to reject them. And that's mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's about 
not rejecting them, but accepting that it's happened and yep. it's there for a reason and it's tough at the time, but yep. yeah. Yeah, and it's always interesting, you know, the people who, the reactions people will have sometimes to even just saying, well, everything happens for a reason. That makes people really angry sometimes to say things like that, which I always just find fascinating because, you know, everybody's got their own way of processing things. And so it's just always interesting to me when when that brings those kinds of emotions to hear something that I would think is comforting, but not everybody thinks that way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. Okay, so next question. What is the, and I'm pretty sure I know what this one is, but anyway, <laughs> what's the most worthwhile thing you've put your time into? Well, it is. It's been learning what I've learned or remembering what I knew because <laughs> Tom talks about it the same way. He's like, you're just remembering, you know. Um, but it's already made connections with people that I never would have thought I would do, like talking to you today. I can't imagine that coming about any other way um and seeing beautiful places and and just yeah it's and it just continues you know <laughs> something that i'll i'll always be learning more of it um you know what i was gonna i just thought of something right then you were talking about remembering and mm. talking about tom you, you had said before you can't remember who tom learned from um at some point in time, this has got to go back to indigenous stuff somewhere, doesn't it? It has to. It has to. I mean, I think it's interesting to see kind of this pendulum effect that happens where, you know, those indigenous old modalities of healing that had kind of become taboo for a while now all of a sudden are coming back and the thing that I think is so neat with Tom is he's not trying to like reinvent the wheel. He is just trying to remember things that were already there. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So next question. So this is the occupation question. And so, <laughs> you know, the question is what advice would you give people about to enter your occupation? But before we do that, we actually have to quantify what is your occupation? <laughs> I think, as I read the question, I thought in terms of, of body work or energy work, which are both very vague. Um, but my advice would just be to go where you're drawn. Because when I first got the notion to learn this stuff, I wished that I had been interested in something more mainstream. You know, I wished that I had been really drawn to doing massage or... Um, you know, Masterson method or anything else that people already knew about. Um, because, you know, I don't, the idea of having to explain it to people and how to market it to people was really daunting. Um, and not that those aren't all great modalities. I think, you know, there are a ton of modalities out there and horses need all of them. Um, but I think had I not gone with my gut and followed along this path, I don't think it'd be as fulfilling. So I think you should, you should go with whatever you're drawn to because there's a lot of ways to help horses. And even if, you know, because a lot of people have wanted to take Tom's classes based on my experience with them. 
uh, whether it's you know clients or vets now that I've talked to that want to learn from Tom and um, I'm always encouraging well yeah go do it because even if you take Tom's classes no two practitioners of his are exactly alike um, so it's always fascinating to me to see what different people take from them because Tom is there to teach his techniques yes but also to amplify the gifts that you already have yeah that, I was just I was just thinking I'm you know I'd be interested in taking Tom's class not to not necessarily to learn the stuff <laughs> but tap into the things that you got to tap into in order to learn the mm. stuff you mm -hmm. know what I mean um yeah you should and tell me if you do because I want to go TA it <laughs> um you know because it's it's kind of like um uh, Oh, anything that becomes a discipline, like a martial art or whatever, you know, I mean, initially people get into, like, martial arts maybe because they, you know, for self-defence or, or mm -hmm. whatever, but after a while it becomes, it's not about the thing, it's about who you become because of doing the thing. I mm -hmm. think any discipline's a bit like that. Oh, yeah. When you get, when you get far enough, anyway, yeah. Yeah, you should. It'd be interesting. And I think you'd be surprised what you pick up from it because you know I know that you've said before how you feel like you're late to the party with all of this stuff but a I don't know that that could be I mean if if we follow the whole everything happens for a reason and but also I don't think you would be having the things that are happening at clinics happen if there wasn't some kind of really cool stuff that you can feel or notice you know like you set the stage for some pretty cool stuff and i think um somebody like tom would just help you a lot of i mean that's what he does with a lot of people is just help you get out of your own way mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> so it'd be really interesting yeah uh, and i think you're gonna have to, to do that okay next question this is about professions as well mm. so what's co one common myth about your profession that you would like to debunk? I had to kind of waver on this one a little bit, but I think it's how little it can take to cause a change. You know, I think there are a lot of people who would, maybe for body work in general, think that it's impossible to create much of a shift from it, you know. Um, but I see, I get to witness a lot of unexplainable things on a, almost a daily basis and 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 I feel like that's what it is I'm a witness to it I'm not a a creator of those things I just feel like I get to kind of be a a fly on the wall almost and to see what's what's possible um, but it's so it's not like I have any kind of superpowers you know uh, I think there are a lot of really cool modalities and cool people doing them and um, as much as you get the naysayers of, ah, you know, that's impossible. Don't believe it because it can be possible. I mean, there's the horses show me all the time what is possible. And I think that's what makes it so addictive is because then it's like, well, gosh, what else? <laughs> yeah. You know, talking about naysayers, I find that 
I'm getting a lot less offended by mm-hmm. naysayers because once you understand that viewing what you are doing through the lens they view things through, mm-hmm. there's no way it could be possible. Right. So it's, it's just about their, their, yeah, their, their lens, the lens with which they're viewing things. Like while they're looking through that lens, that's what they're going to see. Right. So you, you, they're not wrong. Right. And they're the only ones who can change their lens. <laughs> so yeah. that's not my job either. <laughs> which is easier said than done, I think, to believe sometimes. It can be tempting to want to help them see things a different way. And you just can't, you know. It's... You know, I, I, so I put up a video uh, yesterday. So yesterday we took our horses to the beach. Oh, yes, I saw that on your story. And um, it was our stallion, Ray. It was his second time to the beach. So the first time we went to the beach, we just rode along the sand. I didn't even try to get him to go anywhere near the water. But yesterday I went through a process of introducing him to the to the water. And, and the post that I put up, so I took some video on my phone while I was doing it. Mm. And the, I made a video yesterday, last night, and put this footage together about a big part of giving him the confidence to actually be in the water mm. was allowing him to say no. And the whole the whole video I did was about the benefits of allowing your horse to say no and the confidence they get in you when you allow them to say no. And the, yeah. the whole point of the the video was I have people say, well if you if you allow your horse to say no, they'll always say no. Mm-hmm. And then they'll and win. I, uh, yes. And and, <laughs> and the point I was trying to make was it's actually the opposite. If you allow them to say no about something enough times after a while they don't say no because they're like it's i trust you and it's not going to hurt me anyway Mm -hmm. but someone last night commented on one of those videos and they said well yeah so when i'm when i'm riding my horse from the barn to the arena or something rather my horse has started stopping and i just kind of let her stop and stand there and when she's ready to go on we go on and everybody's telling me that don't do that. You'll be teaching her to stop. <laughs> How should I deal with those people? Oh. And so my reply to him was, when they say, don't do that, you'll be teaching her to stop. Turn to, I said, turn to them and say, no, but that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to teach her to stop. Don't you think she's doing a good And like, look at her. She's doing such a great job of it. Yeah. Like, look at her. Like, she stopped right here. Like, she's I think a champion. She's, she's a champion. She's been <laughs> awesome. And I said, and... You know, over the weeks and months progress and she no longer does it mm-hmm. when she quits stopping, then what I want you to say to me is, I don't know what I did wrong, but this stupid horse won't stop on the way to the arena anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, I tried my best to teach her to stop mm-hmm. and she wouldn't stop. Ugh, what a brat. Right? She won't stop anymore. <laughs> I, I just don't know what I've done wrong. And pose it that way because then the people are going to go, they're going to go, hang on, he's been... He's been letting it stop and she's no longer, you know, mm-hmm. like so instead of shoving it down their throat, just kind of plant that seed. And, yeah. But don't, don't, you know, and it's hard. It is. But don't reject that and go, don't tell me I'm doing it wrong. Right. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am t- I'm t- you, you, if you keep doing that, your horse will stop all the time. Like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to teach yeah. you to stop. Isn't she doing great? You know, and it's just a, it's just a, a flipping the switch on on your perception of what they're saying and their perception of what they're telling you and what's actually going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I, cause I think when I first started 
with this stuff because nobody really knows what it is there was an energy about it for me where I'm like what I guess I have to like prove it Mm. and I learned that that is not (laughs) that is not the energy that you can have around this stuff I was just about to say that energy would not work it doesn't it doesn't work to want to prove anything to anybody and it doesn't work if I get really linear about the results that I want Mm-hmm. I yes. you have to just really just listen. I mean, that's that's the the basis of what I do is just listening to the body, and um, it keeps you humble that way too. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's 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 where pe- some people struggle with. Say some of the stuff I'm doing with horses now mm-hmm. that I know works. Mm-hmm. You know, the interaction they have with them. <clears throat> excuse me, I know it works. But it only works if you have a certain energy about you and a certain mindset about you. And it's mm-hmm. not that linear. It's just the, it's the go with the flow. It's the yeah. ebb and flow of the whole mm-hmm. thing. And you come out the other side. Go Just like, well, actually, the thing I talked about yesterday at the beach. Yeah. You know, so um, with Ray, first I rode along the beach and didn't have him go anywhere near the water. Then we got to where we could stand facing the water and the waves would kind of just come up towards him, but I didn't make him go towards it. Mm-hmm. All we were doing was standing still in a place he was comfortable and let those waves start to come towards us. Yeah. And then it got to a point where the waves came up and almost touched his feet and he wheeled around. I was videoing at the time and he wheeled around the other way and I just let him and then I just, you know, he wheeled around to the right and I just kind of finished that off and turned him yep. back around. Yeah, what a nice where we started. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he only did that a few times before he was like, Oh, there's nothing to run away from, and right. and uh, but the whole point of it was about allowing him to say no. Mm-hmm. When he says no, you've got to go along with it. You're like, sure, that's that's great. You can't reject it. You know, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's all pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, and it is. It's a hard concept for people. Well, and like what I find is, um, so a lot of my clientele has been by word of mouth. Like it started with a handful of people. Ironically for a long time most of my clients were out of state it like it started far away and now it's starting to circle more local which i think is a funny thing oh it's it's very very funny like but back when i was training horses it was very hard to get a horse from around here but people send your horses from a long way Uh it's almost like (laughs) yeah i don't know what that is yeah it's it's a strange thing um so for a long time i personally knew the clients that I had and now for quite a while it's been that you know I'll go to most of these people I don't know um and recently I had worked on a horse that is a pole bending mare and and she's done really really well and it's it's opened up like this whole can of worms with, with these contesting people in a really cool way um but a lot of times you know people want to see their horse behave like what we consider quote unquote behave for me. So they want them to be still and they want them to be pleasant. And, and sometimes this stuff is woken up in the horses that has been suppressed for a really long time. And they have a really wide range of responses to it. And, you know, some of them get real sleepy and sedate and, you know, they are quite pleasant and sometimes they get really volatile Mm. And my one of the first conversations I have to have with a lot of owners is it's okay if they, 
you know, if they don't want me somewhere, I'm not going. If they say no, I'm going to listen to them. And you can see for some of these people, their gears really start turning like, oh, man. But it's almost like having that conversation in the beginning, whether it changes my energy or it expresses to the horse that that's where I'm at, most of the time they don't say no. It's like having that conversation alone, they can kind of take a deep breath and go, oh, okay, I can do this, you know, even though it isn't always easy. I mean, I am literally on their nerves sometimes, <laughs> so it's not always pleasant. Um, but it's amazing how even just, again, that, that intention of saying, oh, I'm not going to push you into doing anything. Uh, it's like it it grants you that permission for a lot of horses, I think. Yeah, and I imagine horses like the, the one you're explaining, like, you know, any horse that does an event to where the horse's, uh, you know, the horse's emotional state is not really taken into account. In order to actually do the event that they do, the horse's, in a highly activated emotional state while they're doing the thing. Yep. You know, and, and that's, that's not necessarily about speed. You can have a horse go fast and not be emotionally activated. Right. But a lot of times, you know, like our racing horses, pole banging horses, yep. race horses, yep. you know, while they're doing their thing, they are not in a relaxed state they're in a they're in an emotionally activated state they're in you know they're in the, they're in the sympathetic nervous system so if you think about um polyvagal theory mm -hmm. okay um, so former podcast guest sarah schlarty she has a, a website called equisoma and she has a blog on there and one of the blogs is about polyvagal theory but she says you think about it like three gauges like in your, like the dashboard of your car yeah and there is you know there is the sympathetic nervous system which is one gauge and there's the other two which are brakes mm -hmm. and one is the ventral vagal and one is the you know the dorsal vagal complex and and one brake is the social engagement brake and one brake is the um the, the freeze break, you know, the, yep. like the emergency break sort of thing. And so you can have a horse who's highly activated, like high sympathetic nervous system, mm -hmm. but if the freeze break is slammed on, they're kind of still, but they're freaking out inside. Right. Okay. Or you can have that one completely off, that break off, and then the social engagement break off, Mm -hmm. And they're highly activated. It's mean they're running wide open. Right. But you can have them where they are highly activated, so that that gauge is all the way up. Mm -hmm. But you can have the social engagement break all the way up too, which means it's not the break on. But what I'm so what I'm talking about here is a horse. Let's say you're going for a gallop on your horse on a trail, mm -hmm. and they're completely relaxed while they're galloping. Right. That would be they're highly activated. You know, there's a lot of energy in the system, mm -hmm. but there's also a lot of relaxation in the system while that 
So that's that social engagement break is, is fully right. engaged, the relaxation thing. Yep. Does that make sense? And so it doesn't, just because your horse is galloping doesn't mean they're worried. Right. Yeah. But it, it can. And it a lot can. of times, so the, so the kind of, the, but the events that I'm talking about here are these events where horses are going at a high rate of knots. Yes. But they're also worried while doing it. And then probably a big, a big gauge of it is, could you at any point in time break to a walk and have your horse walk on loose and go yep. immediately? Yep. You know, like you're not going to be able to have a bar racing horse go around the third barrel and then pick up on the reins real soft and have him come back to a walk and right. just walk relaxed <laughs> all the way back home or a pullman horse or a yep. race horse or whatever. But if you think about a lot of, say, like the events that I've you know, been involved in, say the raining and stuff, mm-hmm. to a little extent the cow horse, um, you you know you watch a cutting horse work the cow. Go here, go 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 yeah. go. Stop, walk off, completely yeah. relax. You can have a cow horse chasing a cow, and then you pull them off the cow, turn loose, and they're just walking. Running horse, they can be running in circles, they're running stop, and they can let it go. And 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 that's I think that's the emotional part of it. Absolutely. Just because they're highly activated, which means they're they're energetic, mm-hmm. and there's energy coming out, doesn't necessarily mean that. They need to be emotionally worried. In order to get there. In order to get there. But a lot of times I think horses um, in certain events, like we're talking about here, are that mm-hmm. way. And so there's a lot of stuff going on there. And so I'm sure when you start working your magic on them, all sorts of weird and wonderful things happen. Yeah. And it is the thing that I explain to people a lot, whether, no matter the discipline, is that if the horse is exhibiting some kind of behavior that they would think is not desirable, so if the horse is getting agitated as I work on them, or if they respond, if I touch a certain place and they want to bite, you know, whatever it is, um, they usually want to stop them, pawing. Oh, my gosh, people want to stop their horses from (laughs) pawing all the time. And it's a common thing that they'll do as they process the work that I do. And so I have to like correct the owners on correcting their horses and just say, listen, I want them to be honest because that's all they're doing is they're just expressing themselves. And pretty much nine times out of 10, at least once whatever restriction was there goes away, the behavior leaves with it. Right. You know, so I don't get hung up on what they do as I do things. Um, it's, it's given me a great opportunity to just kind of be an observer. Um, because you know, usually that behavior is coming from somewhere and whether it's a physical restriction or an emotional restriction or both, usually there's, you know, it's a whole combination of things that comes up. Um, but when those go away, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, <laughs> the horses sudden, are happy and calm. <laughs> but, the, but the thing, that, the part that you're talking about is changing the owner's energy and interpretation of what's going on. And really what you're trying to do is trying to get them out of the stop crying or give you something to cry about exactly. mentality. Like, stop showing me your concern. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, that's a huge part of the healing of horses and humans is is allowing them to show that Mm -hmm. 
concerned because you that's the start of working through it right you know like i think i've talked about it on the podcast before but what i'll sometimes do at clinics is have a you know put like a 12 by 12 pen in the middle of the arena mm-hmm. in case there's a person i need to do this with but some people cannot be around their horses without having a judgment about everything the horse is doing mm-hmm. and so i'll take the horse and put it in the pen thread the lead rope out through the fence and tell the person i just want you to stand here and hold the lead rope and I do not want anything this horse does to affect you emotionally, energetically, whatever. I just want you to just stand here and just be. Yeah. And when those horses start pouring, oh. those people cannot stand there <laughs> and just observe their horse pouring with no judgment. Like their, their body language changes. And I yeah. go, do you realize what your body just did? And like, oh, I didn't realize I did it. But what happens if you leave them there long enough, they get to where the human gets to where they just relax about whatever's going on and Mm. by the time you take the horse out of the pen back in with the human when there's no fence there Mm. the whole relationship is completely different and Mm. it's and it's it's not that we fix the horse right you just got the human to where they're around the horse without having an attachment to the horse behaving a certain way without having a judgment about everything anything the horse does and it's what's funny i found is you you change that (laughs) <laughs> it changes a lot of stuff about it the horse. And, and like if you're trying to be there in your Zen spot working on the horse doing the craniosacral stuff mm-hmm. and the people there, their energy is rejecting whatever's going on, mm-hmm. that would get in the way. It does. But I've gotten to a point where I can create a pretty good bubble of mm. space. Because um, it's amazing how many horses are like, oh, people, these idiots. You know, right. it's like, oh, they're just so tired of people especially like if i work on off the track horses most of the time their response to me is what are you gonna do you know like great you're gonna come in here and make it worse (laughs) (laughs) um and so it's just interesting to see a horse's relationship to people in general you know it's like you know you just reminded me of something so when i was at that Best Horse Practice Summit mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah. in um, Lexington, Kentucky last year. There was, in the afternoon, there was a session to where there's a very, very, very good horseman got to work with some off-the-track thoroughbreds. Yeah, like fresh off the track, I think. Fresh off the track Like they had raced yes. days before. Yeah. Right. And what was so interesting this is people's perceptions of stuff is Mm. i was standing over to the side uh when they bought one of those horses in the first day yeah okay and then this horseman worked with this horse and there was there was quite a bit of small circles and bending to get this horse to relax Mm -hmm. okay and finally this horse got to relax yeah okay Took quite a bit of work. Yeah. And, but you wouldn't have to, it wouldn't require the same amount the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. Right. But I was standing over to the side with someone who is a biomechanics type expert. Okay. (laughs) Watching the whole thing. And this person said to me, you know, I'd be really worried. Don't these horses get sore in the stifles? Like, like all this small circling, like I'd be really worried about these horses stifles, all this small circling. I didn't say anything, but what I wanted to say was, did you see this horse's body when it was led in here? Oh, yeah. There was tension in every, 
every muscle in this horse's body was working biomechanically incorrectly. Right. The, the horse was in com- complete flight mode, even though it's walking because it, you know, someone's holding it by the chin, leading along. The horse is kind of walking sideways exactly. and completely tense. Every muscle in the horse's body is tense. It's been led that way. Every, it's a three-year-old. It's been led that way every day for the last two years. Right. And this guy's just spent half an hour working on small bending movements and getting that horse to untrack behind and turn loose internally. And now it's completely different. And you were worried about the small circles it did for half an hour, but not the way this horse has been led for the last two years. Right. I was just, <laughs> and this was actually someone who was presenting at the thing. This is a knowledgeable person. Mm-hmm. And I was flabbergasted that they didn't see that. Like, how can you, like, how can you witness that bigger change in a horse and then be concerned about, oh, my God, I'm worried about this horse's stifles. Don't this horse, well, these horses must get sore in the stifles if you do that all day, every day. Right. You don't do that all day, every day. You don't need to because once you get them to mentally let go, that's not there anymore. But exactly. what I was just, I was so flabbergasted that they didn't, they didn't see the horse walk in and think, oh, my God. Like, yeah. you know, it's funny. <laughs> Someone like that will say, oh, small bending in circles. That's right. bad for a horse. But she didn't say, oh, my God, did you see the way they led this horse in here? This poor horse. Can you exactly. imagine being led around like that for the last two years? Exactly. That didn't even cross her mind. And I was I was just uh, I was just flabbergasted yep. that, the, that that could be the lens that especially this person sure. viewed what was going on. It's like we saw two totally different things. Yes, I did see a horse have to do some small bending stuff for quite a while before it could let go. But once they let go, it's not like you've got to do that all day, every day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what's, was, yeah. what's the lesser of two evils here? Yes. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, and yeah, if the I, goal is to help the horses learn how to help themselves and get to a different place mentally, you know, isn't it, is it Einstein who says that that's like the, the definition of insanity, insanity is yes. you keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And it's amazing how much of that there is. Yeah. I mean, and that's the, that's the thing. You're trying to teach those horses how to find that peace themselves. Mm-hmm. And this horse, I can guarantee has not had any peace since it was Ever. probably left its mother really. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of the whole, um, racing industry because that you know, and so many people in the racing industry will will say, "Oh, you're an idiot. You shouldn't say things like that." Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if you think about a horse that comes off the track, they are not ready to be a quiet riding horse. That mm-hmm. you know, they they are like a soldier coming back from combat, sort of thing. Exactly. And. Yeah. So anyway, it it's, was just it was just fascinating that this person's oh, yeah. take on what we saw, mm-hmm. and what was funny, you know, um, the, the guy worked with two horses, one the first day, one the second day. Yeah. But both of those horses had no idea of how to let go of worry. Like mm-hmm. they were, they were, they were so addicted to being worried that they couldn't let go of their worry. Yeah, it was palpable. I mean, it was one of those things where, oh my gosh you could feel it from the whole arena, I think. Yeah. And we actually, afterwards, after that second session, that that particular trainer and I were inside, we were talking mm. 
about it. And he was like, oh, gee, I wish I could have done more. Like, where do you think I messed up? Uh, you know, he was like beating himself up a bit. Yeah. And so Maddie Butcher that, that uh, you know, was running the whole thing, she heard us talking and she said, well, why don't you two guys get up on the microphone and talk about mm-hmm. what's going on here? Yeah. Um, and so we got on the microphone and I, and I said, you know, this guy here was just kind of beating himself up and he's an amazing horseman. Mm-hmm. He needed a great job with his horses. But I said, he's kind of beating himself up. He was asking me, what do you think I could have done better? And I'm like, you are dealing with it. That horse knew the answer it was giving. The answer is to be tense. The answer is not to let go. I mean, it's not like you were working with an unhandled horse who was looking for answers. This horse mm-hmm. was not looking for the answer. You were trying to have that help that horse find because he's been taught that is not an option. Yeah. And I said, so, you, you know, you were working with a very well-trained horse and it's hard to mess up a well-trained horse. If you get a horse who's really well-trained, <laughs> it takes a lot of messing up to untrain them. Exactly, yeah. This horse was very well-trained to be in an emotional state around humans. And, and that was the, I think that was the trouble he had mm-hmm. is at no point in time did this horse think that anything the human offered him was going to be a good idea. So the, basically the horse rejected his offers for a long time before yep. he could make a bit of headway. And that's, I think that's why the process took quite a while well, because those like horses. They couldn't even look at him. They no, wouldn't look at him. They wouldn't look at him. You know? and, and what was funny is the horses were spooking, the, the horses he was working with one at a time were spooking at every, like they were, their head was up in the air looking at everything in the arena. Mm-hmm except the human on the ground except in front of him. him. Yeah. You know, if he had walked outside the round and left him in there and jumped up and then waved his arms, mm-hmm. they'd have been looking at him like, ooh, what is yep. he doing over there? <laughs> but because he was in there with them, it didn't matter what he did, they wouldn't look at him. They were totally rejecting him. And it's funny, um, Kendall that, that works for us here, she yeah. trained some horses at some other places and she's actually – doing some work for a friend of mine who trains rain cow horses. Oh, that's great. And they just got a, a new horse in that they're going to start. And um, Kendall had said that this horse is very distracted. Ah. And I was over there yesterday, I think, or the day before, and I saw him working with this horse. And I said, oh, this horse is not distracted. This horse willfully rejects the presence of the human. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's distracted because if the horse is distracted, you can distract them from the distraction. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you can get their attention if you move or whatever. But this horse, everything the human did, everything Kendall did, the, you know, if, if the, Kendall was standing on the horse's right side, there was something interesting over to the left side. But if Kendall yep. went on the left side, now there's something interesting <laughs> over on the right side. And I remember a few years ago in Australia at a clinic, there was a lady lovely lady named Sally. She has this beautiful quarter horse mare, like this mare is gorgeous. And <laughs> Sally's standing on the end of the lead rope and the mare, you know, her neck comes out of her withers real level and her ears are pricked <laughs> and she's looking at things, not looking high-headed at things, just yeah. curious about things. Yeah. Looking around at things, but she wouldn't look at Sally. Ooh. And Sally was like, she doesn't like me. Oh, but I was cool. standing over to the side and I just took my hat off and raised it up in the air and the mare's head swivels around and she looks at me and her ears are pricked like, oh, that's interesting. She's not scared. She's curious, you know. And I said, oh, she doesn't seem to be, you know, I was kind of messing with Sally a bit, but I said, 
she doesn't seem to be work, she doesn't seem to be not like me. And Sally goes, Yeah, it's gotta be me. And I said, I'm gonna show you something, Sally. Let's switch places. I will take the lead rope, you stand over here. So I stood in front of the mayor, took my hat off and waved it around, and the mayor would not look at me. And I said, Now, Sally, just raise your right hand up or pick one foot up off the ground or whatever. And Sally's standing over there and she does, and the mayor turns and looks directly at her. And I go, It's not you. You 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 got that judgment thing like my horse doesn't like me. Mm-hmm. It's not that this horse has just learned to block out who is ever on the end of the lead rope. Yeah, I think. Anyway, that's... you you saw with these thoroughbreds, they oh, were yeah. so adamant about I cannot, I cannot even look at you. Yeah. Now anybody outside the round pen, anybody oh, that they didn't perceive, yeah, yeah <laughs> super interesting or curious or at least they could show an awareness. Right. Of them. But the person in the Libra, no, no, no. I, I cannot, I, I don't, I don't trust your judgment in the slightest bit. Right. You know? And, and that, that was the whole thing that, that I, I just, I was just bamboozled that this person thought that the bit of work that they did to get this horse relaxed might be detrimental. But the past two years of leading this horse around by the chin with it, right. having every muscle in its body quivering and yep. tight and being in the sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, was not a problem. Not a problem, and yeah. it's so interesting. So, I never was a a huge fan of thoroughbreds. You know, it was one of those things from like, oh, they always just seem so, you know, sensitive or dramatic or you know, they're just they're so emotional. And um, in learning this stuff, it's given me a whole different appreciation for them because it made me realize that they're actually most of the time very stoic and they're just at their wits end with themselves and with people and um yeah and that's not that's not that's not a thoroughbred thing though no i think if you threw any breed of horse into that oh it's a backwards environment well, yeah that that environment mm-hmm. they'd end up somewhat the same way yeah oh i i totally agree yeah and there are a lot of horses that they spend a lot of time outside their bodies they just don't they would rather be anywhere else right yeah you know so which it seems like a lot of what you do nowadays too is helping bring them back to themselves which i think is a tremendous help for them in their body and their mind um well i found that's you know that's the that's the starting point i mean you know the training is <laughs> the training is easy if you can get that bit to work. But if you want to train them without getting that bit to work, you've got to be a really good trainer. Yeah. You've got to have a lot of techniques. Yeah, yeah, and, and that, a good you know, <laughs> Yeah, and all that stuff. So, <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's get back to your questions again. <laughs> I, I love this question you've chosen here. In the last five years, what have you become better at saying no to? So it's from Meme Land. But I have gotten better at saying no to listening to opinions from people that I wouldn't get advice from. Um, That, I think, is the main one. The other one that is a much more recent development is um, saying no to being available 100% of the time. Uh, Because I think as you have your own business and you're having to talk to people, it would be one of those things where people would message me any time of the day or night and I would feel like I had to just drop whatever I was doing and get back to them right away because I wouldn't want to be you know inconsiderate and then I sat down and thought about it and I'm like you know back in the day where everybody just had landlines 
<laughs> people probably wouldn't be calling me at you know 12 30 a.m just right. to ask about my prices <laughs> or see what right. it is that i do um and so it's it's been a good shift in perspective of you know i don't i don't have to be available all the time for everybody yeah grace i love your answer to that and the reason i love this question is because you know the question is what in the last five years have become better at saying no to and it's and it's posed like becoming better at saying no to things is a good thing mm -hmm. and in order to get to the point to where you think that's a good thing, you've got to give up your people-pleasing tendencies. Yeah. And I think a lot of us have people-pleasing tendencies from childhood. And, you know, when you read enough stuff about it, it's like it's a trauma response. But, mm -hmm. yeah, and so you have all these just ingrained patterns of of stuff. And, yeah, it's, yep. uh, yeah getting, getting better at saying no to stuff is actually a, a good thing it's freeing yes <laughs> which doesn't like go ahead sir well it doesn't it doesn't feel that way in the beginning it's amazing no. how like i i felt so guilty at first because i'm like oh man I, you know, I i am my business so what you know what does it say about me if i let messages sit for you know a few hours or a day or however long and i've even gotten to the point now though I've gotten comfortable enough to where if people are really obnoxiously trying to get in touch with me, it makes me wait longer to get back to them, <laughs> which I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But <laughs> I, I read a, a post this morning by a school teacher, I think, mm. and she got a, an email at work. She got an email from an irate parent mm. and was immediately typing back and her you know, the principal, the vice principal, someone from the school said, what are you doing? She said, well, I'm replying to him. And she said, we have 24 hours to reply to emails. <laughs> and she's being very obnoxious. And so it is now, you know, one twenty-two in the afternoon. And so tomorrow you're going to reply to her at one twenty-one. Love it. <laughs> and it's, it's not so much a screw you no. sort of a thing. It's just like, I don't, you know, it's just, that is, that's a, it's like all pressure in life. It's all mm -hmm. perceived pressure, but that's an external pressure we put on ourselves yep. thinking that I need to get back and to I, them. Yeah. Well, and I think in that case, it's like, if this is the energy that you're bringing to me, I don't know that that's something that I want to reciprocate, you know? So it's, it, for me, it's more of an energetic feel where, you know, it's like, if you're that frantic, this might not work anyway, <laughs> you know? So um, just being more particular about things like that. It is it is nice when you can let go of that kind mm. of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I love that question. <laughs> okay, last question that you have mm -hmm. is, what quality do you admire in a person? The desire to learn, because um, I think you have to be pretty open to want to continue learning um so i appreciate that a lot actually so i guess there are a few things there are those things the learning and and the openness but then um congruence you know i've found that as i've leaned more into my intuitive side i've become way less tolerant of incongruence in people um you know, do you feel like you've become 
less tolerant of it or do you feel like you recognize it easier and so it's it's not that you're less tolerant of it you're just aware of it more so than you were before that's that's what it is yeah it's definitely an awareness a sensitivity to it Um, not necessarily a low tolerance because everybody's just going to be where they are and that's totally fine you know I'm, i'm detached from that so yeah it would be just a a sensitivity to the incongruency so i love congruence yeah, I, because the reason I quantified that there is because I, I think I notice incongruency more, but I also, it's like I understand, once you start to understand trauma, mm. um, when people are incongruent, not only do I probably recognize it more, but I'm also quite understanding of how they got that way so instead of being judgmental about it mm-hmm. you, you tend to think oh, you know obviously you're operating that way because of whatever and so it's 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 for me it's not like i'm less tolerant of it mm-hmm. i'm probably more aware i think i'm, I'm more aware of it but it's yeah. uh, it's not it's not that i'm less tolerant I, I probably would not be wanting to hang around people sure you know that's how i would not tolerate it sort of thing right it's but just choose it's, to be elsewhere it's choose to be elsewhere but it wouldn't be choose to be elsewhere judgmentally mm-hmm. it would be like yeah i don't vibe with that energy i totally get i totally get that there's some stuff that got you that way but i'm not right yeah i'm not interested in, in hanging about with it yep yeah it doesn't mean you have to be married to it <laughs> Right. Yeah. Sometimes you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm probably talking more about my wife's case than my case right there. But... <laughs> uh, um, okay. I've got through all your questions. And, yeah, I love the unraveling of how you got to doing what you're doing. So how do um, people find out more about you? I have a website, um, novaequinerenovations.com. And I'm usually pretty active on my business page on Facebook also. I post a lot there usually. Um, and that's Nova Equine Renovations. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what those three words mean. So <laughs> we know what equine means. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing Nova is the name of a horse. I don't know. No, I. it was one of those things as I was thinking about a name for my business it just sort of kept coming back to me like a boomerang because I had spent a lot of time in this sort of limbo of knowing that I wanted to shift my uh, work from the training side of things more into the body work and energy work side of things and so it was easy for me to think of what I didn't want to be (laughs) and then I had to just sit with myself for a while and think about what I did want to be for horses. And I just kept thinking about Nova and I'm like, well, why does that keep coming to me? So I looked it up. So it's from like the astronomic event of, you know, a star that is dying or is losing energy and another star comes along and gives its energy. And then all of a sudden it's shining way, way, way brighter so that you could see it, you know, with a naked eye from earth and and i thought well that's a pretty cool thing you know so that's what a nova is 
Well, that's my understanding. I'm really? no expert. Okay. But <laughs> no that, expert, wow. but that, that was my cool. interpretation anyhow. <laughs> a star giving energy to a dying star so mm-hmm. they're brighter. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh, and okay. then, you know, renovations just as um, something, again, as I thought about what I wanted to do for horses, and it's just to restore them back to their best version of themselves. You know, so a lot of times people will say, oh, so do you like renovate old barns and stuff? <laughs> and I'll say, no, I renovate the horses. And then they think <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, that was, that was what I came up with of what I did want to be. <laughs> wow. Well, that's awesome. Very, very cool. Okay, <laughs> that explains that. So, yeah, NovaEquineRenovations.com and Nova Equine Renovations on uh, a Facebook page. Yeah. Hmm? Yep. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining me. It's been such a fun uh, time unraveling and figuring out how you got to the point to where you're doing what you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. It's really such an honor. Thanks again. So you guys at home, thanks for joining us and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Journey On Podcast. Thanks for being a part of the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.